This is a Momentum Media production. Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. We've got a Hey Going Phil Tarrant, co-host of Inside Commercial Property with Scott O'Neill, Director of Rethink Investing. Scott, how are you going? Well, yeah, very good. Thanks, mate. Yourself? Getting by, struggling struggling property investor, struggling commercial property investor, trying to make make headway in this tough market with interest rates going up, mate. Um, the um, performance of my commercial property, which we've been chatting about on this particular podcast that we acquired, leveraging the the good services over there at Reefing Investing a few months ago, uh, the, the numbers, are, the P&L are looking very different now. These interest rates keep going up. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? All the, yeah. Uh, yeah, the rate rises and... Um... Yeah, it's something we all knew that was coming, but it's very different when it starts hitting, doesn't it? Like we've all, uh, I think everyone got lulled into a false sense of security going, yeah, rates aren't, they're never going to go up. Debt's high. You can't raise them. Here we are. They're higher. And I can see there's uh, a lot of people changing their investment behavior at the moment. And yeah, particularly with certain things like with the, the Queensland land tax rulings and that. So all of a sudden you see all these houses in Logan and Ipswich and places like that up for sale. So it's, uh, it's people are selling as a result. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's just a moment in time, isn't it? Just part of the cycle. It is. And, um, you know, a lot of residential investors are also commercial investors. A lot of commercial investors have some sort of exposure to the residential market, horses, of course, is really. But that's a good point you make around uh, Queensland land tax changes. And I've, I've been having a conversation about, you know, do I liquidate all of my my Queensland assets because it's still a bit of an unknown exactly the the impact of uh, increase in uh, land taxes for me. I don't know what what's you got any guidance? I know there's a commercial podcast, but while I've got you and you're you're pretty good at the residential stuff as well, is it going to change what you're doing in terms of your Queensland assets? You got any resi stuff up there? Well, look, I always invested similar to what I do in resi with commercial. So I look at the cash flow. So now that there's a difference in cash flow due to potentially more land tax obligations, you've got to just factor that into the equation. If an extra two or three grand or whatever it is for this purchase is going to make it not worthwhile your purchase, then there are better states. I know we're quite heavy in WA at the moment. I think there's a lot of potential in that market. And, you know, Queensland's one market. There's so many others. It's it makes it less attractive, but it's still got a fantastic long-term future. Like particularly some of the markets are in, in southeast Queensland where the Olympics and all that are going. Brisbane's the third largest city. That's not going to change. These these cash grabs by governments, um, you know, they'll probably keep coming up in different forms over the next decade. Like there, there's all this debt and there's got to be a way of recouping it. And, you know, the way the states and, you know, the federal government sort of operate. Without each, sometimes it's, um, yeah, there could be a bit more of this type of stuff. So keep your buffers in place. But yeah, it's just another part of potentially um, factoring in more costs. So you've got to, you've got to probably put that into the price. Or I'm seeing a lot of articles go up about rent's going to go up because investors are going to have to push it back onto the tenants. And um, yeah, it's not good for tenants. Like that's probably going to be the biggest repercussion out of this that tenants are going to pay more because owners are are pushing costs back to them plus the interest rates have gone up too so yeah it's um it's all going to be very interesting it will be i've been sort of semi-vocal about this i you know i don't think it's very good policy look i'm i'm not 
someone that lives and sits inside of the Queensland government. I'm not a paid government official. Um, but, you know, I, I think what they're trying to achieve with this and probably to try and normalise or, or make housing more affordable for owner-occupiers, it's just going to have probably the opposite effect. And you think about it, Scott, all those people who have bought owner-occupier properties in a market which could potentially go south because it's structurally going to go south because of government intervention in taxes, I don't think they're going to be pretty happy. Number one, number two, you're struggling to get yourself a, a rental property in Queensland as it is right now, particularly in those areas of southeast Queensland you spoke about. There's a huge shortage. Three, it's got to disincentivize people to move intrastate, and then also once well, as borders open, it's really going to you know um, make Queensland a less attractive proposition for for new migrants. So I, I, I don't know. I reckon they're going to. They might get a quick cash grab at it and then sort of retreat backwards because the economic impact long-term will be considerable and substantial. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Um, and that's on the residential side. doesn't impact commercial property is what we uh, understand now. Uh, not so much because um, like I, I'm yet to get the final result from my accountant as well, but uh, he's basically saying the impact. And, and I, I own a fair, a lot of property in Queensland and outside of Queensland. So if anyone's going to get impacted, it's myself. But he's basically saying because I've siloed each deal in different trusts and separated things to different entities, the impact's quite minimal. And remember that uh, commercial tenants pay, it's normally, it depends on the lease, but a single holding of a company tax, land tax uh, amount goes to the tenant. So, you know, if a lot of it gets passed on to the tenant just automatically and, and mm. that, that doesn't, it's... um. Yeah, like it doesn't include your home, your principal place of residence in the calculations as well. So it's investments only. So yeah, I'm yet to see the impact, but I'm told verbally only yesterday that it's very minimal for my commercial properties, which yeah. is good. Well, it's good news. And um, maybe we can get a, a tax specialist in to have a chat with us about this specific thing. And, you know, again, that's another sort of third order impact of this. If if commercial property investors are having to pass on any land tax increases to the tenant, well, I'm sure your small business councils up there aren't going to be too happy about that, saying it's another gouge from property investors making it hard for people to conduct business. So these are the second or third or impacts around these things. That I, I don't know, still wash out and wash through. I don't know whether or not I'm going to be selling assets up in, in Queensland, but i tell you what, I'm, I'm not actively buying up there now. And to your point, there's probably other markets which are better. And Scott, one of the great things about this particular podcast, we've been at it now for a couple of years, sort of steered through the COVID uh, pandemic and and as we emerge uh, out of it, you know the market today is very much defined by rising interest rates. I spoke about my uh, commercial property, which is a really good buy. It's a good asset. You know my interest rates already spiked two plus percent, three percent. This is the nature of the beast. Fortunately, with commercial properties, there's usually a lot more fat on the income side or at a P and L level uh, where you can buttress a lot of these cash impacts. You might not be adding as much to your bottom line, but you're probably not going to find yourself in negative cash flow. That's a very general statement, but it's a reality of investing in commercial on, on the property that you guys secured for me, uh, which is in Western Australia. I think by memory, we were sort of had about 40,000 bucks a year as uh, positive cash flow after all expenses around it. Like that's going to get swallowed up pretty quickly on interest rate repayments. However, it's got to go a lot further before that's actually going to turn into a negative situation for me, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, like in your case, you probably and you probably lost potentially ten grand of that forty. So you're still, you know, thirty odd ahead, and that's 
That's that's what the beauty of it. Like you said, there's fat in the the income, and that's the biggest difference with commercial investors to resi. Like if you've got leveraged up and you've got 20, 20 plus, um, you know, middle ring suburb houses, you know, you've gone into quite a tight cash flow situation. So you need a good job to keep your portfolio in commercial. It's um, you've gone from extremely positive to still positive, and uh, yeah, it, like if you're negatively geared and. Well, I've never really heard of anyone go negatively geared for commercial, like unless it's vacant and um, that's a different beast. But yeah, that, like it's a low debt world. Like I saw some articles uh, online from one of the big auction houses. They were quoting to the Australian Financial Review, I think it was them, basically saying why they're selling assets at 3 and 4% when interest rates are 4 to 5%. And they just said they're cash buyers. Mm-hmm. These are guys buying four or $5 million servos and and child cares and stuff like that. Like they're not what I'd call great deals, but there's people just with cash that don't want to sit it in the bank because we all know that if you sit it in a term deposit, you lose money. There's no way you can get ahead through a term deposit. So you have to invest. In this high inflation environment, your money will devalue so quickly if you don't leverage into something, then it's almost like this is why an evenly geared situation is a lot better than the alternative. So Everyone that's got substantial amounts of money know this already. This is why they invest. Like it's you've just got to keep pushing through and and look. I think the rates are going to come back down. I reckon mid next year, maybe maybe a lot earlier than people think, because what they're doing to the economy is is going to going to hurt the mortgage belt of Australia. Your middle income earners are going to get hurt. Like the lower income are going to get hurt from the inflation. Like at the grocery, the Bowser all that, but all the other guys that are trying to give it a go are going to get hurt by this and that'll stop spending at some point. And, you know, there's talk of some of the external factors, uh, you know, with costs starting to drop a little bit, you know, obviously the war in Ukraine and all that's just not helping, but um, cost of fuel starting to come down a bit. So these are going to help with, um, you know, the inflation inflation equation. And, um, yeah, if that happens then and the economy's got a technical recession, then, You've got to start boosting productivity again. And the one way to do that is to at least stabilize the rates and then probably drop them down because, uh, yeah, people are going to get hurt otherwise. You know, the machinations of how the Reserve Bank of Australia and the governor operate to steer the economy in the right direction. And it's a lot of discussion, uh, Scott, that um, there's still a lot of spending happening, right? And and there's this, this sort of knife edge of, taking the economy into the Christmas period and people still having an, an attitude and aptitude towards spending but not overspending. And I think that's going to be the um, the circuit breaker for this particular rate cycle is do we or will they allow, will they give sense for some level of sustained confidence with Australian consumers to spend over Christmas uh, to support um, retail and, and, and hospitality and everything connected in with that or they'll try and apply the brakes even further who knows? Uh, it's a tough job for the RBA and, and the governor uh, to get this right. Whether or not we'll see rates coming down in um, uh, middle of next year, maybe. It all depends on a number of different factors, particularly what's going on in the US and what this impact of these rising rates will be. The way I view it, the way I see it, the way how I'm acting and, and operating around it is I'm going, well, how does this impact me as a property investor? Yeah, I've got a pretty good job. Um, you know, I'm able to weather rising rates, even if my resi portfolio is negatively geared. To your point around cash buyers out there sort of getting assets, commercial assets at 3 4%, which is, which is less than what the current interest rate is, 
you know, there's some smart land banking going on right now. This is that counter-cyclical investing that you hear about. Um, if you can pick up these assets, they're not distressed by, by any means, but I would say the heat on the commercial market's probably, you know, in line with um, the heat in the residential market. And that is it's come back a little bit. I like your sense of that. As the commercial market slowed down and these people are just buying properties today, which maybe six months ago would have been a very different proposition and they're getting ready for the next cycle. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Look, look, a couple things to your points there. Like the spending, we like because I'm over in Europe at the, still at the moment, and I'm trying to book a ticket back. And the cost of tickets are about triple, and there's nothing available. So I'm on a, a Greek island at the moment, and the, it's never been busier talking to the locals. So this is the problem that we're seeing. That well, it's not a problem, but people have money. I'm like in a tourist area, and they are packed. Everyone's spending. All the airlines are full. Like this inflation is really getting driven by people because they've got all this money that they've probably stored for the last two years. And that's why it's going to take probably a little bit longer than us commercial and property investors want it to, to sort of unravel because people are still spending. So it might keep going beyond Christmas, but they're going to run out at some point, you'd hope, or you know, at least lose the confidence. So then at that point, that's when the interest rates will come down. And as an investor, to answer you, like the smart investors are buying now. Like mm. I've just personally, um, I'll be settling in a in a month, my largest ever purchase. And trust me, I, I was nervous as I always am when I buy a property. I, I overthink things, and I basically just thought it's it's a lot, a bit, lot better to buy now than it was six to twelve months ago. Like it's you're getting a better deal right now, and I don't care what the interest rate is today. Like. Yeah, I probably care what it averages out over a 10-year period. That's more important, not what it is today because it's going to be different next year and the year after and the year after. So it's better to think about long-term average interest rates and then look at your long-term average rental growth and look at property. Like we mentioned in the last podcast, what money does over time. It's not about the snapshot of today. It's what the average looks like and you can sort of make better decisions that way. But yeah, if you've got cash available sitting in a bank and you're waiting for this perfect time to invest, you'll never get it because if it's really good, you're going to pay 20% more than today. And if it's, yeah, you just got to pick up the right deal. And um, yeah, and, and I'm seeing that because we're like, as a, as a business, we've never been busier. I thought it would slow down, but we're getting more inquiries now than we did six months ago. And I think it's a lot of that transition away from the residential or I think stocks are taking a pretty big hit at the moment. So a lot mm -hmm. of people are not investing in stocks at the same level as they were. Um, so commercial is a bit of a potentially a safe haven versus stocks. As yeah, it's it's well observed. And we need to remember that the economy is still performing pretty well here in Australia, right? Like, you know, it's, it's not like we have significant concerns about the economy, you know, unemployment levels are still at, at record lows. I, th I think they're starting to go back up and I think this is a natural equilibrium taking place. You know, the economy is still performing pretty well. And, you know, if you're a commercial investor, guess what? Your investment is intrinsically connected with business and the economy. Commercial premises are inhabited by income-producing businesses. And if economies are still performing well, the economy is still performing well, commercial markets often run in, in lockstep with that. The question I have for you, Scott, and it's a bit of a hypothetical, are you better off having chunks of money sitting in offset accounts, offsetting residential investment debt, or would you be plugging that money if you had it into commercial purchases right now? Oh, look, if you 
if you understand and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about myself by yeah. the way right now yeah 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 well look i always answer these questions just exactly what i would do myself like that's the only way i can answer these types of things i'm not a uh, what do they call them, a financial planner or anything like that. But as yeah. an investor, I, I understand what inflation does to money. So we've both got a lot of time on our side to invest. So I would be leveraging into good quality assets with land component and just make sure your cash equation is good, cash flow equation. And you're going to make a lot more money doing that than paying debt off because money is going to keep devaluing faster than what we all think for a long period of time. So if you've to, you know, if you've got $1 controlling $4 in the market with a couple of zeros on the end of it, you're going to do well over the long term. That's what any good investor in property understands. So just make sure you can cover your interest obligations. And then if you're comfortable with that side and you, you factor in your other income, like you've got your job or your business or your, your rental income, you've got to look at the full picture and then put some safety buffers in place. And if you can cover that worst case scenario, then keep investing and mm. that's what i'll be doing as long as i can because i you know it's like growing a business you don't stop growing the business if you think it's going to do better uh, you, you keep pushing forward and and that just brings extra diversity and you'll find that you just need to keep it a certain lvr on your portfolio that the banks are comfortable with so then then you can refinance quickly if there's a worst case scenario that comes up mm. yeah and this bit of feedback we had and and it's good to and please keep the the questions um are coming through um uh, info at rethinkinvesting.com.au is where you need to send them and yeah, Scott shares them with me and we have a good chat about them. Um and, and I've been thinking about this question myself and I get a lot of residential investors, even commercial investors asking me this same question. And and that is with these rising rates, increased rates, therefore this PL impact for commercial investors has the shine come off commercial investing. Now, you, you're saying, Scott, that inquiries to rethink investing is is as strong as ever uh, around, and I'm, I'm thinking mainly around commercial property. So that would indicate to me from one source that the shine is, is certainly hasn't come off uh, commercial investing. Um, what's the attitude of investors right now? They're going, okay, this increased rate environment is a moment in time. It will probably come back a little bit potentially. So therefore, buy now or, you know, is commercial investing not the place to be? Well, the honest average opinion that I'm getting from a client is they want a good deal. They're ready to invest. They've got the cash. I think my clients are quite educated. Like they do listen to the things like the podcast, read articles, and they've probably already got a portfolio of Resi as well. So they they get investing. So there's like you don't need to explain to them that this interest rate is going to be the exact same for the next 20 years. So they yeah. understand that's going to go up and down, but your rent will increase over time. As your rent increases, so does the asset value. So just sitting on the sidelines costs money every year as well, not just in cash flow because you're still positively geared, but you're going to have to pay more for the same asset next year because the rent's gone up 5%, for example. So there's a cost of sitting out and um, we're busy because I think – there's more people going, well, residential doesn't solve this cash flow problem. And now I've been forced the hand. So we're collecting a lot of that inquiry level. And yeah, people want to invest and they understand this capital growth in commercial. So this whole idea that, you know, you need a super high yielding commercial property to justify the purchase, I think that's fading. That's the old school residential salesman saying, oh, you need, you know, you don't get any capital growth in commercial. Um, 
but we all know that's not true. And that's that's why you're there for growth as well. It's not just cash flow. You'll see on your asset, it'll grow every year unless there's a massive shock to the economy where rent values halve or something like that. That's the big kicker. If you see rents drop, that's when you're in trouble. Interest rates going up and down, that's just small fluctuations to your P&L. That's just like any business. That'll go up and down. You deal with it for the good and bad. But if rents drop, that's when you know the economy is struggling. And there's just no indication on earth to say that that's going to happen because bill costs have gone up. You know, the vacancy rates are dropping across the country. We've got a very strong economy compared to what we're you know, used to. And that's that's flowing through into the commercial markets and businesses. The ones that have got through COVID are all doing quite well. So, yeah, I think it's it's all pretty positive and investors are seeing that. Um, and you're getting a better deal than you did six months ago. So that's why transactions are happening because you can kind of see that already. Like we're already benefiting from these rate rises. And will it, the deals get better in the next six months? I don't think it's going to change much. Like there might be 5% here or there on a deal. But like you've got to remember commercial investors generally have low debt levels and they've got nowhere else to put their money. So they're not desperate sellers. There's no like I have not bought a bank sale ever in commercial. I'm trying to think if I have or not. No, it's normally just like I've mentioned an old guy selling down to clear his affairs or a divorce or a developer trying to pull his funds to another project. Like that's the sellers in a commercial market. They're not stressed uh, mums and pops who are redlining on their mortgage. So you don't get the big discounts people hope for. And that gives a sense of stability of the market. You spoke about shares, Scott, um, not a lot of stability in, in the share market at the moment, to the point being, um, by his economy and rude health, it's it's pretty healthy uh, right now. But really it comes down to asset selection with commercial properties. Um, you know, Are you going to see wholesale drop in uh, rents? If you were to see that, which I doubt you will, it would probably be in specific asset classes rather than a holistic thing and, you know, the, the property that I've secured over in, in uh, WA through you guys um, is it's a logistics warehouse. So the future is very much orientated towards there always being a demand for that particular type of asset that I've secured. Maybe different, you know, when, once the world goes completely electric, um, is there going to be a demand for petrol stations, for example? You may see wholesale shifts in, in rents on that basis, but comes back to asset selection. And that's been very much... Scott, the, the thrust of a lot of our conversations on, on inside commercial property has been about the who, what, when, where, how around investing. And I think we're doing pretty well in that regard. So it scores pretty well. Um, we get pretty tactical sometimes. Sometimes we get a bit philosophical and talk about the economy. We've done a bit of that today. But some of the feedback we do get is, okay, well, what happens once you've bought something? Um, what's next in the equation? We've got some really good feedback only this week around that where people are going, hey, guys, keep up the good work, but can you start talking about the other bits of commercial property? And I think the opportunity for us is to start steering our narrative and our focus towards those type of things. Stuff like how do you go about revaluing a property? How do you go about extracting equity from that property? How do you go about improving those properties? You know, manufacturing equity through different things you can do inside a commercial like you would do in uh, Resi. You know, how do you go about releasing? How do you go about improving lease terms? And importantly, when's the right time to sell? You, you spoke about when people... The drivers for selling commercial property is often very different to the drivers for selling a resi property. And I think you crystallized that really well. So that's where I want to take our conversation over the next few months as um as we get in this pathway of talking about these type of issues. And when you look at uh, the rising rate environment, a lot of those 
increased costs, whether they're inflationary, whether they're, they're to do with taxes, will be picked up by the tenant inside a commercial property. But there's other ways that you can add value to your assets. And, and maybe that's where we can concentrate particularly today. If you wanted to get an uplift of capital growth, manufacture uh, greater equity in your commercial property properties and or manufacture better leasing terms, where would you start with those things? So, yeah, look, it's a good intro because, Phil, I've been reached out a few times lately. Because we've probably got, you know, thousands of guys listening to this that now own commercial properties. Guys so and this, girls. This is not Lots of girls case. listening as well. We've got to get some more girls on. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And, yes. And it's, um, and it's right. Like, so this is for for everyone, like, because um, I'm, you and I can start talking about it, about, you know, what happens after settlement. And, you know, to answer your first question, revaluing. And I encourage any of, like, my old clients that are listening, um, reach out if you want to, if you're in a position where you're actually looking to refinance or revalue, um, we can help. And, and this is the advice I'd get. So depending on where your asset is, there's certain valuers in town that will be more bullish. Like it's all fair market value, but you know when you get a valuation on settlement, they can be very conservative. So some are fair and some are not fair. But we would go to the ones that are fair that will give you a fair market rate and you can then just check to say, look, would this company be – workable with your bank are they on the panel of lenders and you can actually refinance and you can renegotiate your interest rate at that time as well you might even shop around to the other major banks or some of the second tier guys like it's a good time to probably try get a better rate because um, that's what i've done on my portfolio because i'm just buying a new property i just looked at all my rates they've crept up more than they should have so i've just said look if you want to keep my business take some money off and they came back within two hours and Shaved about 0.4 of a percent off. There. So, you know, with, with my debt levels, that, that equates to quite a lot of money. Sounds year, like a European so. holiday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm terribly lazy with this stuff. And, and I'm sure many of my, my listeners and clients are as well. Like, go to your bank, ask for that discount because you're probably going to get it. And um, yeah, when you're talking millions in, in loans, then it's the easiest money you're, you're ever going to make. So, yeah, first step, look at your bank, talk to them, see if they can better the rate and then revalue because if you've held a commercial property for more than a couple of years, you're probably sitting on a very big chunk of equity, like could be 20, 30, 40%. So a lot of my clients are doing that and they've found they've got another deposit handy. So it's a really good thing to do. And um, yeah, like especially if you've got nothing else to do and your property is just idling away and you're in this kind of um, – plateau stage of your portfolio like you've got to work your loans and work the revaluations because you might just revalue it to a lower lvr even if you don't want to pull money out like you may have went in at a 70 percent loan revalue it you might find there's 20 percent equity go back to the bank with a 50 percent loan um, rate and because your lower debt level is more conservative the banks might value that business more because it's a safer loan so then you can go to all different banks and you know, you're not even losing equity. You're just going on with a lower LVR for the bank. You might get a, like a longer P&I term or, you know, there might be just some benefit to moving. They might pay all your, your fees to move over to a different bank. So, yeah, it's revaluing is something that I'm incredibly lazy at doing because I just, and I'm sure you are too, Phil, because you've got a lot of properties. It's a big effort, but you've got to do it and you almost need to put it in your diary to do it every year. And yeah. I, I, I dread it. I hate on. it. I absolutely hate it. The last time I 
I did a, I did a, a big podcast around or a series of them where it was one bank in particular who I had a horrible experience with them. They've got uh, gold and black in their logo. It was absolutely appalling. It made me, it made me physically angry. Like I wanted to punch people. Right? That it was such a such what a soul destroying experience. Oh, I was on hold for an hour and a half one day. Dropped out because I think it was after it become six o'clock and they all went home. Tried to get another the next day. Exactly the same thing happened. Tried to get another day. Exactly the same thing happened. Finally tried to talk to someone and they went nah, not not doing not doing anything. Finally called up by and went through their sales channel and I just went, look, you're gonna lose me as a customer. You got to sort this out right now. And I've got some big complaints around this. And I, and I fought tooth and nail to be able to. I think I shaved maybe 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 off off probably about six loans with them. Uh, they were really reluctant to do it. Right? They, they made it really mm. really hard. Whereas other lenders. I had such a good experience with them, and I, I think of Macquarie Bank, where I've just called them up. I, I normally I sit there and I got a. It's it's like when was the last time you walked into a bank branch? Like some time ago, oh, probably twelve months ago. Yeah, if if just I to- if I go to a bank branch, if I'm walk if I have to go to a bank branch, which I hate doing, like I'll be walking along there, just get, and I'll be gearing up, getting ready for a fight. Like it's such a negative experience having to walk into a bank branch because. It's so soul destroying. Hence the reason why people use uh, mortgage brokers. But I've got to g myself up to actually go through the process of knowing I'm going to have to fight for probably a couple of days to try and shave some some points off my interest rates. That said, though, it's probably the most dollar productive uh, bit of work I've done that week because literally, I, I think I, I did it. I probably shaved I don't know twenty grand, thirty grand in uh, interest. Uh, interest costs over over the course of a year, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I wasn't happy about doing, but other banks, like Macquarie Bank, I called up and went, hey, look, I'm getting this particular rate with this bank for exactly the same loan inside the same trust on these terms, and they within like five minutes, I went, yeah, no worries, we'll beat it by whatever, and you know, in place, happy day. So I'm lazy around it because I hate doing it, but when I've done it, I feel quite satisfied with the process. Of doing it, yeah, and um, like they always say, property is a game of finance. So we we spend all this time choosing the assets and you know talking to tenants, making sure it's a good deal. But you've got to have a good deal with finance too. Yeah, and right now the deals aren't as good because of the interest rates. So there's more of a reason to actually look around, check if you're on the best deal, because um, banks will try keep your business as well. And um, like I said, with commercial, there's different levers you can pull. So if you go in with lower LVRs or get off a lease doc loan back onto a full doc loan, you're going to save money. And um, and you just you just wait for a couple of years, then go again, do it all over again, and, and just keep improving that little uh, cost center. Yeah, if you could explain this for me, because you've said it a couple of times, and maybe some of the listeners don't really get it. You're saying improving the LVR term. So really simply, if you bought a commercial property for a million dollars and it was a 70% lend, which is pretty typical for, for commercial, it means you've thrown in 300 grand plus other costs, so like stamp duty and all that sort of stuff. So the bank sees you with a particular risk profile because your loan is at 70%. So what you're talking about is saying, well, that, that property may have increased by 50% over the course of a number of years. So it's now worth $1.5 million. So it's just really calling up going, Hey, I want a cheaper rate because your my risk profile is a lot less than what it was when you first issued me this loan. Is that pretty much the concept? Yeah. So you, your rent would have gone up. So remember your interest rate 
cover would be higher. So you're getting more income versus the, the interest you're paying. So because the rent's gone up, your asset value's gone up. So look, using that scenario you use, Phil, if your property's gone from 1 to 1.5 mil, you've got half a million equity in there. So you don't have to draw all that out to splash on another property. Mm. Most people would. But if you don't, you just go, well, I'm just going to um, go back to the bank. I'm going to leave my debt at uh, 500 grand or 700 grand if you if you use that. So you're going to be under 50% LBR in that scenario. And banks will love it because you'll you'll service every calculator they've got and there's just there won't be any knockbacks from the banks because it's a conservative position that they'll probably you know every credit approval team would sign off on so you can just shop around with that lower lvr and get a better deal it's particularly important for those who've gone and redlined into a deal and their maybe their income's dropped or you know they're like lease stock loans remember a lease stock loan is one where you've got finance based on the lease on the property so you're not personally backing that deal so you might pay a higher interest rate on a lease stock loan and i always tell my clients get the lease stock loan if you can because it's quick and easy but then long term you want to refinance off it um, get into a, a more conservative lending position and you'll save interest and um yeah it, there's just a lot of ways to skin the cat yeah it's a lot of ways to skin the cat and if you're going to go down the pathway of of doing this be armed with some really good comparables from other lenders, uh, whether you're trying to sort of reprice an LVR position or, or just get the bank to make their interest rates more competitive. Uh, they're going to want to know what else you've got and what other people are, are offering them. So don't go in with idle threats saying, hey, if you don't give me a cheaper rate, mm-hmm. I'm going to move. Most of the time they're going to go, or oh, where are you going to go and what are they offering you? So yeah. you need to be equipped with this stuff and actually have tangible examples of, of how you want people to meet it. And there's a real... Um, two-speed market in terms of what banks are offering new customers versus existing customers. So know what those rates are for for new to bank business. Um, and you should be trying to chase uh, comparables around that as well. What, why shouldn't this be the big issue? Why should loyal customers be penalised on their interest rates when new customers are getting more preferential uh, interest rate positions? So just do your homework first and uh, get stuck into it. And that's a big part of it. It's revaluing and refinancing the smart investors now are, are sort of getting liquid where they can. If you do have those big chunks of equity and you can realise that you can always park in the offsets on loans, depending on what structure you hold uh, them in. But another great way to, you know, um, post-settlement realise a greater outcomes inside of your investment is is improving the, the actual value of the property itself. Let's not talk about renegotiating or improving lease terms. I think we can leave that for another day. Scott, can you physically, like residential property, can you physically improve the value of a commercial property and get immediate upsides in terms of increased rents and or increased capital growth? Yeah, there's many ways to do it. And, and like I'm working to a few of these examples for some clients as we speak. So one of them is we're building some hard stand or, or laying some hard stand out front of a big industrial property and we're going to amortize the it was about like a 200 grand cost so we're going to amortize that 200 grand into the lease value over a 10-year period so it's increasing the rent and it just allows a justification of that capital expense um, for the tenant's benefit so we're going to benefit from the fact it's actually improving the property it's going to be there for the next tenant as well but um, it's going to increase the yield because we've put more rent on the lease and that's just through an amendment and this is where a good lawyer, like we obviously had a lawyer on our last uh, podcast, but you don't stop working with your lawyer at settlement. 
They keep mm. they're there for your lease renewals. They're there for amendments. They're there for chasing up a late paying tenant as well. So you're kind of always going to be in touch with your lawyer. And that's going to come in handy when you're doing things like creative stuff like this, where you want to, you know, try amend things with paper to make sure it's then going to be, you know, actually attached to the lease forever in a legal way that a valuer can recognize as that income. Sorry, um, just quickly on so hard stand. What what is hard stand? Just so listeners. So of basically, there's gravel out the front, which obviously is not attractive. It's not as good to store stuff on. Um, it's dirty. It doesn't look good. So we're going to basically lay some concrete out the front, and that will allow uh, a lot more sort of effective use of that space. Um, so they'll just drop <laughs> shipping containers and and stuff like that on it, and potentially even put. Uh, a structure on top of it in time as well so that mm. that would be another layer to this conversation like you could then charge um, new rent for that shed that they build on top of it so these things cost money and you've got to then weigh up is it worthwhile spending money on building a new shed or do i just buy another one somewhere else and then and this come is the back question it's like chucking a granny flat on a resi property right like is it one plus one equals three is this hard stand initiative is it tenant led or is it is it owner-led as in, hey, I want to do this anyway, Mr. Tenant, if I do this, are you happy to pay a few more bucks a week on your rent? How does that work? Most of them are tenant-led, So, but you can prompt the tenant. You can even do this when you purchase the property. Like Part of the due diligence we do for our clients is call the tenant up and say, what do you need? How can we improve the property? Do you want to stay long-term? Like, Find out what they want, and then when you know what they want, you can then use that to create a win-win solution because you want to hopefully keep your tenant for the next 20, 30 years if you can. And it might mean you've got to build an internal mezzanine or fit out an office for them or you know, part own or fit out. for so, you know, But you're going to get benefits to any money you spend. You don't just chuck cash at something and then you know that's it. Like You are going to be using this as part of a negotiation, and it might be as simple as getting them to sign a lease three years early, you know, to take their five-year option three years early so it turns into an eight-year lease and then that's a good time to call the valuer up. You've got the new lease in place. So you want to time all this stuff around your valuation as well to maximise the price. So solar panels are a big one at the moment. There's obviously a uh, the model that we sort of recommend is you can um, – charge them like a 10% discount on their normal electricity bill, but you're collecting the 90% difference. So you can then um, reduce your outgoings on the property and that can be capitalized, so capitalized into the rent. So any income you save or call it make uh, through solar panel income can be uh, increasing the yield, which will increase the price. So plus it gives the tenant a discount on it. So it is a win-win solution as well. You can mm. instant asset write-off a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah, that um, still exists. Yeah, you talk, talk. Yeah, I'd have to check the the latest rules with it, but um, but yeah, you talk to a specialist in that. So you know, if you want to talk to a solar paneling guy, there's a million of them out there. You just reach out to a good local one. You can get referrals from your leasing manager. We can recommend people as well, uh, but you you just ask around, get a few quotes, just like any job, and um, and that that's going to give you an income benefit as well. Um, really good insight, Scott. And look, we've just quickly gone through that solar panel thing. We could probably do a whole podcast just on that. So I think this is wish this is our headspace for the next period of time. All these post-settlement bits that you can do. You know, we talk about putting on a mezzanine. I think that's a podcast in itself. Um, all these little value adds, um, which are sometimes complex concepts and 
execution can be difficult. And a lot of the times you've got to go, is the juice worth the squeeze as well? So how do you work out what to do and what not to do? So this this should be our focus on moving forward. I, I don't want to skim over this stuff. I think let's let's dig down into it. And so if you've got anything at all that you want us specifically to talk about, get in touch. Um, it's info at rethinkinvesting.com.au. Is that correct, Scott? I've got that right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, if you want to sort of drill down into a specific topic, um, yeah, like might need to get an industry expert, um, you know, like a town planner or you know, like structural engineer or something like that to talk about specific things. But, um, but yeah, it, it's always important to weigh up the option. Like your granny flat analogy is, is the exact same we sort of talk about in commercial. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of granny flats because I always think if you're going to sink whatever the cost is, it's probably 200 or grand for a granny flat these days. That's a deposit for another house. You know, mm. you can then just go and buy something else somewhere else and Sit on to, that for twenty to years. Try and, that'll to try be and fix more. a bit of a dodgy yield on a resi property. I, I completely agree. And you spoke also. I think we need to do a deep dive into is co-owning um, a fit out. You know that 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 in its own uh, realm is a, a complicated and complex. Um, you know, so a, 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 from a financial instrument point of view, in terms of depreciation and 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 capitalizing, amortizing costs around it. Like I think we should do a full podcast just on that in itself. Because when <clears throat> I know as someone who's has had commercial leases. They're they're pretty quick to to put in front of you um, opportunities to pay for the fit out uh, on the basis that they don't discount the rent. Uh, and you sit there going, and a lot of people take it. They go, oh, that sounds really good. I get a million dollar, two million dollar fit outs paid for by the owner. But there's a very good reason why they they they're happy to pay that and make sure they're they're, they're giving you very little, if any, discount on the on the head rent. Right? It's it's a very complicated and complex uh, environment. And if you're on the ownership side, you probably want to know about these things as well. Is it worth actually paying for someone's fit out and, and keeping your rents high? And that sort of lends itself again to revalue and everything. Gets complicated, gets very, very complex. And I think we should dig into it. Scott, who's who's spending the most money in Europe at the moment? What sort of tourists you got there? A lot of Germans, a lot of uh, Scandinavians where you are, no doubt. Uh, so the island I am, it's it's led by the Dutch and Germans and English. They're okay. the main big three. Um, I was over in Rhodes uh, a few weeks ago and um, it was all full of Russians, interestingly, over there. So, um, <laughs> so they're obviously the big spenders in that island. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're the main ones. There's, um, it's just incredibly busy. If you try to fly around Europe, it's just probably five times the, the normal ticket price. So, it's yeah, it's crazy, and the European economy is probably the worst in the globe uh, from a you know a rich country point of view. I'm not talking about some of the, the strugglers in South America and that, but um, yeah, it's it's yeah, like they're still going hard over here, which which is interesting. Did Interest rates are quite low here, though. On the Facebook, did I say you were in Bodrum? Did you go to Bodrum? You in Bodrum? Yeah, or Bodrum. Roads? So yeah. Uh, that's yeah, that's Turkey. So it's they're on Turkey. the euro over there. Um, I, I think which I the went. Year is crashing. <laughs> yeah, back, back back in my my youth, um, I think I went. I, I've been to Bodrum. I, I think it's got Europe's biggest nightclub there. I don't know if it's still going. Halani Karnos. I remember it well. Uh, yeah. It's good fun. Yeah, uh, Bodrum. It's like um, the Turkish Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it is like the Turkish Vegas. It's it's uh, it's good. But who's the, who's the biggest nuisance uh, where you are? Is it the English? The English tourists are the, are the ones who get most of the trouble. Oh, probably your standard Australian who uh, hasn't travelled much before. They're sitting in a piazza, hammered, you know, first time off the plane. So, yeah. You're still seeing them out there? Good. There's not many this year, interestingly. No. Um, a lot of the Aussies are 
next year, I think, because, yeah, we're still, you know, getting back into normal life in Europe. It's a long way to take the mitt, but, yeah, next yeah. year there'll be a lot of Aussies. I think we've all been that loud, obnoxious Aussie tourist at some point <laughs> in our lives. So. <laughs> anyway, Scott, mate, um, good to see you next time. Back in the studio, um, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm getting on a plane in a couple of weeks. So, okay. yeah, see face-to-face and, yeah, probably go – Go through more of these, um, you know, the ownership of um, property. Metropolitan. There's a lot of other things we can cover and go through it all. And, and in terms of people who want to have a chat with you, you're connected, engaged, you're happy, you still are sort of uh, working with all your clients irrespective of, of your geographic location? Yeah, well, look, we've got a big team. So on these days as well, just so the clients know, I, I spend 95% of my time just finding properties. So I'm not talking huge amounts to clients because I, I – I add more value by actually finding the assets and negotiating with the agents so and also helping with the due diligence. So I've got a really good team of sales guys that will put the time to understand everyone's situation and because everyone's different, everyone's got different risk profiles and and that, um, yeah, I even post-settlement, we're always there to help. You know, that's a big part of my job too, just this stuff we're talking about now, like what to do with releasing, you know, how to get a tenant to sign a lease early, like, when is a good time to sell? All that stuff is is a big part of a, a good buyer's agent's job. And, mm. um, yeah, because you don't really get this advice anywhere else, I feel. No, you don't. And uh, we'll keep doing what we're doing. Uh, Scott O'Neill, Director at Rethink Investing. This is Inside Commercial Property, the podcast for commercial investing. And I think it's been, in many ways, uh, opened a lot of people's eyes and a great awareness towards uh, commercial investing, hence the reason why so many people in there right now. Uh, thanks for tuning in, uh, everyone. Please keep those reviews coming and those questions coming as well. Uh, we do enjoy what we're doing uh, and it's great to get that feedback to know what we are saying and doing is resonating. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye.